Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Alright, so tomorrow is my birthday, so we're actually going to talk about one of my favorite shows of all time. This is for you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> so this week's episode is an all or none to the best of my knowledge, I have watched every single episode of Stargate SG-1, and I don't think you've seen any of it, have not, you, Sarah? Not a second of the show. Have you Have you watched the uh, 1995 Roland Emmerich film? Yes. Okay, so you have seen the film. I have seen the film, but I understand that the TV show is not appreciably the the same. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's like follows the events of the film, mm-hmm. but not like, it doesn't try to recreate the same characters, maybe? Or it does. All right, let's uh, yeah, let's get into Sarah. What, what do, you... do you know about Stargate SG One? I don't know. Apparently, I don't know what I know. I was under the impression that it wasn't like super similar to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they did not. Tra- they weren't trying to recreate the events of the movie. But like the events of the movie were like, I, I was under the impression that the events of the movie were basically like setting up the universe. That was like the world building. And now there's a Stargate. I, honestly, I don't remember very much. Uh huh. Uh, about the movie. Is it, um, uh, what's his butt from the 90s? Um, and he's, he was on Boston Legal. Am I thinking of the wrong actor? Who's the main actor in the movie? Uh, the main actors are Kurt Russell as, like, the the tough, rough-and-tumble military guy and James Spader. James Spader! Yes. That is exactly what I was thinking of. So James Spader is the sciencey guy with glasses. Uh-huh. I forgot that Kurt Russell was in it. Yeah. All I know is that the, in the end, he decides to stay with with his Stargate lady. Yes, on the other side. On of the other the, side of the Stargate, the, which is like kind of vaguely like ancient Egypt or something. Uh-huh. That's what I remember. Yep. Okay, yep. That's what I remember about the film. Mm-hmm. Um, they build a gate to the stars, and the place on the other side of the gate is vaguely like ancient Egypt, and he meets a sexy lady who they can communicate, apparently. And then at the end of the movie, he decides to stay with his Stargate lady. Yes. End of story. Uh, my impression of the show is that it's more sci-fi-y and less... More science-y. More, more spacey stuff. It's more technology and like less of the weird uh, I- ancient Egyptian stuff in a desert land. Okay. All, guys, all the images I've seen from this from the show seem to be more like in a lab, a sci-fi uh-huh. lab or something. Uh-huh. Um, there's a guy in the show with a really unusual name that I see listed as an as a guest in Comic Cons a lot. Tomo Pinkett? Tomo? Something like that? Who's from that show? Ooh, isn't there more than one? There's more than one Stargate show, though. Maybe he's there from a different is. one. This I... is like this is this is like the 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 CSI of sci-fi. They've got like yeah, the, for Stargate this, Stargate that, Stargate... So there was uh, Stargate SG-1, which ran for 10 seasons. Stargate Las Vegas. <laughs> you are so... It's so close. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, right, There's yeah. Stargate SG-1, which ran for 10 seasons and got two, like... Stargate Miami. <laughs> two direct-to-DVD uh, films. Okay. Uh, and then there was the spinoff series Stargate Atlantis, which ran for five seasons. Right. Uh and then there was Stargate Universe, which ran for two seasons and had Lou Diamond Phillips on it. Oh. Our buddy LDP. Our pal. Uh, so, I, but it's so interesting to kind of hear your vague idea about the show because an odd thing about the show and why I'm actually really keen to revisit it and talk about it on Pilot House is that 
for how long it ran and how successful it was in terms of like fan base and everything, it's not reached the sort of cultural osmosis point that even a lesser Star Trek like Voyager yeah, has. Um, definitely. I feel like it's 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 a little bit like a, it's a scrappy, it's cult in a like, it's it's like, it's, the, it's following is too small to even be, not too small, but like, it's not even quite a cult thing. It's yeah. more like just like a scrappy, like underground, like fan base or something, but it ran for quite a long time. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, I love the show Yeah, and I love the characters and I, 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 they're very endeared to me, but at the same time, it's like, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's everybody's like second favorite thing or yeah. third favorite thing. Yeah. And because it, it's like I've I've never encountered like rabid Stargate fans. Mm-hmm. I know lots of Stargate fans, and many of my like geek friends that I love to talk about sci-fi fantasy stuff with love this show, but not there's nobody who's like this is the best show of all time or this is my favorite show. Yeah, there's just a lot of people who are like I like this show. Yeah, it's and I can't really think of like a comparable phenomenon. Like yeah, in I other genres. Like, I, I weirdly feel as if this show doesn't even quite have the 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 referenceability. I guess I it, like the the like people dropping like a joke reference to thing and and assuming people will generally know what they're talking about. Uh-huh. It doesn't even have that the same amount of whatever that quality is as like Farscape or something. Or yeah. like um Babylon five. Yeah, I mean, Babylon 5 fans are like, Babylon 5 fans. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's 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 a, more of a thing. I don't know, yeah, I, I whatever this indefinable quality about it is, I think we're both seeing the same thing. Yeah. Just not really knowing the way to convey it. I'm, I'm kind of, like, I, I don't want to spoil any of the show for you, but I think one of the reasons it's so endeared to me is that over its 10 years of, of regular run... It almost like my memories of it are almost more of it being like a workplace show mm. than uh, an adventure show. Yeah. Even though their job is going on adventures, it's it has a quality that is the kind of thing that I've always wanted out of sci-fi fantasy, where people are like, "Well, another day at the office shooting the giant laser into space." Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they put on their suit and tie and go shoot the giant laser, as opposed to being like holy shit, today we're shooting the giant laser. Yeah. Like, kind of a thing. There's one more thing I remember, and now oh. I'm wondering if it's actually from the show or if it's from one of the other Stargates. Yes. yes. Which is a very large man with a bald head, perhaps. I don't know why it just became Atlantic to describe this person. Large man with a bald head, person of color, or maybe wears eyeliner, and has some sci-fi stuff on his face. <laughs> is that a character from this show? Oh, I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> A large man with sci-fi things on his face. Let's go watch Stargate SG-1. A large man with sci-fi things on his face. This is a lot. There's a lot here. Okay. We just watched the Stargate SG-1, the 90-minute feature-length pilot, which ran on network name... It was on Showtime from 1997 to 2001, and then it moved over to the Sci-Fi Channel uh, in June of 2002, where it ran for like another five or six years. Wow, nice. Yeah. It was a a Canadian-American co-production. No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) That show was Canadian? 
Get right out of town. We'll get into Planet Vancouver later, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, so, how wrong was I? Well, let's address the chiseled jaw in the room. Tomo Pennicut is from Balsar Galactica. <laughs> I was completely wrong. I think I was conflating that name with my image of the character that I described as the big bold man with sci-fi stuff on his face. Yeah. Which I was remembering absolutely correctly. The second that character appeared on screen, I went, hey, that guy goes to Comic-Cons. Christopher Judge. Thank you. This is his name. Uh, Teal'c is the character name, in case anyone was not already absolutely sure who I was talking about. Uh, so that's it. That's it. Those are the only two things I was wrong about. Oh, and it definitely uh, is more related to the movie than I expected. Yes. I, it, the TV show takes place... One year after the event of the movie, the events of the movie. I was expecting like 10, 20 years later. And like, if any characters from the movie made an appearance in the show, it was going to be like in the pilot to kind of like pass over the reins to a new team or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that. But instead they have recast three, five, if you count the two uh, people from a Abydos? Yeah. yeah. The, well, no, some of them are the same actors. Oh, it was uh, Scara? Scara and like one of the other Abydos kids are the same actors. Oh, okay. Oh, that's there's, fun. There's a few people throughout the series who are reprising the ro their roles from the film. You know, like some of the more bit parts. But, yeah. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, nice Kurt Russell has been replaced by... Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, James Spader has been replaced by Michael Shanks. I was about to say, a sort of James Spader looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when he first appeared, I went... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, if I hadn't seen Stargate in an appreciable amount of time and you showed me a picture of that guy and said, is this a guy from Stargate? I might have been, and I, and I didn't know James Spader from anything else, I right, guess. Right. I might have gone, yeah, that looks like him. They, they definitely like, he's got the exact same hair and glasses. That good floppy 90s hair, same glasses, very similar. I feel like they did a really good job of casting people who had the same vibe mm -hmm. and and I, I went, you you do a moment of going, oh yeah, that person does look like the actor from the film. And then you let it go and just accept that yeah. they're the character. Instead of constantly going, oh, they're doing an impression or something. Yeah. Like um, um, Kowalski. Mm -hmm. When you said that act, that character was played by French Stewart in the film. Yeah. I'd forgotten that French Stewart was in the film, but I went, oh yeah, that guy's got a French Stewart quality about him. Yeah. And then I let it go and I didn't keep seeing this guy as like a French Stewart lookalike. He just became the character. Yeah. So I, I feel like they did a, a really good job with that. Especially considering that Richard Dean Anderson is like a face that is already familiar to mm -hmm. me. I admittedly had completely forgotten about Kurt Russell's character from the movie. I have yeah. no strong memories of that. But when you said that, I went, oh yeah, he's kind of got the vibe that clicks with my memory of that film, which I only saw once. Mm -hmm. So I don't have strong memories of it, but I kind of went, oh yeah, all right, sure. And then I just accepted he was the character and went on with it. So well done, Stargate SG-1 on that front. <laughs> which this, I feel like people don't, I'm trying to think of another example of a movie, of a TV show that was... Spun out from spun a movie. Spun out from a movie I mean, they do that a lot, but it yeah. usually doesn't work. Yeah. There was a Clueless TV show. There was a um, Ten Things I Hate About You TV show. 
But like it usually doesn't work. So maybe I'm just thinking this is especially well done because it actually lasted the, yeah, long the, enough for me to see it. I've never seen those other shows. So. The only other time I've seen this work nearly this well, and and even that, this is probably a controversial opinion, but there's a there's a show on the Stars Network called Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is spun out from all of those sure, sure, Evil sure. Dead, Army of Darkness. Uh-huh. And th- not nearly as successful of a franchise as this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like, it, it stands on its own. You don't have to have any knowledge of the film. Like, you know, it helps it initially. Helps. <laughs> but something that will become apparent very quickly as you go through season one is that the the film was a starting point only. Yeah. It's not like the events of the film are majorly critical going forward in yeah. the same way that something like in Ash versus Evil Dead, like those films are very important to the canon going forward mm-hmm. and keep being referenced and keep being a thing. Yeah. Whereas this is very much its own beast. Yeah. It definitely feels like it would, it probably helped me to have, to vaguely remember the events of the film mm-hmm. when watching the show because they don't spend a lot of time uh, going into great detail about the events of the movie. Yeah. Kind of, it, they reference them, but they don't go into detail of explaining them. They're kind of like, this is where we're starting from, but like, let's keep going. Because they pretty quickly kind of change the rules. Not in a, we're like ignoring what was in the movie, but like going, hey, remember a thing we believed about the Stargate in the movie? Turns out we were wrong. Other stuff. You yeah. know, they're like, well, it can go other places. It's not just a one-way portal Earth to this one other planet, mm-hmm. which they believed, I think in the movie, that was, yeah. just, that was it. In the, the first film... The first, I'm saying the first film. The, the Stargate movie from 1994 mm-hmm. was intended to be the first in a trilogy. The second film in the mm. trilogy was intended to introduce the idea that the Stargate could go more places. It just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. but that was never a part of the canon of the first film. Yeah. So introducing that is a radical shift in sort of the broader canon for this series. Yeah. So, speaking of the film, yeah. uh, before we get into that, do you have a one-sentence synopsis? In a secret underground government thingy lab base, a gate to space with a wormhole in it that has been closed for a year is, is suddenly reopened, and two members of the team who originally went through it are brought back... To go on new adventures with a new lady character who's a scientist and also an Air Force person. And they find out about stuff that's dangerous and so they're going to work for the Air Force and go check out the Stargate now. Pretty good. I mean, that's not wrong. It's not eloquent, but it's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Though I guess the only really notable thing that I kind of glossed over in that is that Daniel Jackson, who is the James Spader character in the movie, who's the scientist who was brought in to work on the Stargate initially, at the end of the events of the film, he chooses to stay with his Stargate lady uh, in the vaguely ancient Egyptian sort of culture, mm-hmm. which I'd forgotten. The premise is that an alien who go- comes to Earth in like ancient Egyptian times mm-hmm. and uh, does some cultural appropriation and decides he's Ra, the sun god, uh, and then grabs a bunch of ancient Egyptians, like a couple thousand people, and goes, I take you to another planet now, and then w- w- you can be 
my subjects and I will be your God. Mm -hmm. And that is the planet they go to. So these are humans actually from Earth. Yes. Uh, from long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. Who have now built this other culture on this other deserty sort of planet. So he stays there. In the show, they go back there, find him, bring him back to Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, which they accomplish because his wife, his Stargate lady, uh, gets kidnapped by a new alien pretending to be an Egyptian god, even though they killed the, the bad guy at the end of the other movie, of the movie. Although they keep saying, are we sure he's dead? I mean, we're pretty sure. So I'm like, are they leaving that one open so maybe they can bring back Ra later? Who knows? Uh, at any rate, we've got a new alien, basically. It's like they killed the villain at the end of the movie, and in the next movie they go, turns out he had a brother who's going to do the same stuff he did for a sequel. Yeah. So we get to bring back the villain without retconning killing the villain. So he kidnaps the Stargate lady so that uh, to give Daniel motivation to leave his people and come back to Earth and do science again. All right. Shall we get into that recap? Uh, I mean, I'm already in. Yeah, I'm, already, you're, you're... I'm already two feet in the door. We start the movie, or we start the, sh the show with the first scene I do want to mention, the very first line of the show. You see the Stargate covered in a big tarp or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. There's a couple of army-looking guys. I mean, they're Air Force, but you know. Yeah. From a layman's perspective, army-looking guys at a card table with folding chairs playing cards, and one of them says, boy, this hand is as lousy as this detail. And I'm like, oh, mwah, chef's kiss uh, expo log, right? <laughs> Immediately we know that this is, the Stargate a year later is now so inactive that it's a boring detail to sit yeah. and watch it. Yeah. Like, we've come so far from the events of the film that now they're like, oh, this dumb room I have to sit in. And like, nothing ever happens in here. There's one woman at the table mm -hmm. with like three or four guys, right? And she's the one who's kind of like, aren't, we, aren't you guys afraid like an officer is going to come down here and like we're getting trouble for playing cards? And they're like, ah, nobody ever comes down here. This, this project is totally dead. And then the, the tarp starts moving and she's like, does it normally do that? And they're like, ah, the only thing it ever did was cost a lot of money. <laughs> and like... She's being very like, I don't, I don't know, guys. Like, this seems... But the best part about the scene, you could replace her being the woman at the table mm -hmm. with a bunch of guys with a younger guy with a bunch of older, you know, sort of guys who've been around a bit more, right? right? You, this could be just a younger dude, and you would not have to change a single word of the dialogue. They don't refer to her by her first name or any gendered language. They don't say, like, ah, come on, girly, or, like... Oh, is the little girl afraid of the big Stargate or anything like that? There's nothing. She plays her character as she's new to this detail and she's not so sure this thing isn't dangerous. That they all seem like they, they don't even care about this giant Stargate. The, uh -huh. the Stargate in the room. And I was, at first I was like, of course the woman is the one who's like, what's going on? I'm scared. But right. then I was like, that's actually, I'm kind of into the fact that they, they just played it like the fact that she's a woman is not what's making her wary of it. It's that she's new to the detail. Yeah. Like, I was like, all right, cool. I appreciate this for a 90s show. Yeah. Unfortunately, later when they introduce the other female character, they do all of the tropes in about, a, you know, two minutes of dialogue. So, yeah. yep. whatever. Uh, Although that, that tendency that you're referencing here 
is something that this show, like over the years, is has some really high moments with mm-hmm. of just being like, and I think it might be because it is like it's a military show, mm-hmm. so they're working with the Air Force and the 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 Pentagon and all that to like kind of try to portray the military as this whatever organization vaguely, and in some branches of the military that is. You know, it's just a, they're just there. Sure, whatever. Um, my friend who's a pilot in the Air Force, like, there are some women pilots in his unit, and they're just there. Like, it's yeah. not an issue. Mm-hmm. In his unit specifically. I can't speak for all units in all military branches. Of, of the world. Of the world. So, the yeah, the tarp starts moving. All of a sudden, it flies off. The wormhole opens. And a bunch of dudes in just not... Super high budget, each ancient Egyptian vaguely looking snake head costumes walk in. And for some reason, they chose to do a close up shot of their feet walking out of the Stargate, mm-hmm. which like could have been a cool shot, except for the fact that they're wearing like sneakers. Yeah, the, the shoes like, are kind of funny. Ag- aggressively obvious, they are wearing normal earth shoes with sort of like gold painted things sort of over the top of them. But like you can really see that they're just wearing shoes yeah. underneath and i'm like weird weird choice for that shot but okay uh anyway they show up uh they grab the the the, the one female officer uh and just scan her face and say some space words and then they fight they have the spears that shoot energy from the movie mm-hmm. uh and they basically all the other dudes in the room just like flip out they just like like, one of the guys grabs a phone and then just stares at the Stargate. I'm like, yeah. maybe call for help, you ding-dang dinkus. He eventually does. It, there's a big, blah, 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 lots of guns. A lot of people shoot their guns while going, ah, which I, I assume help you aim better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It makes you, the bullets go farther if you go, ah. That's how you spray and pray. Yeah. So, <laughs> then they, get, you know, of course the bullets just, Ping, ping, ping off of their... Uh, space armor. Big space, big uh, snake-shaped space armor. And then they go back in with... with they steal the lady, and they go back through the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a bunch of guys are dead. But they did manage to get one of the aliens. Yes. Then an Air Force suit-type guy uh, shows up at some house and finds a guy on the roof of the house looking through... a telescope and going here's a tip major transfer to nasa that's where all the action's gonna be out there (laughs) (laughs) and this is kurt russell's character from the film who's played by richard dean anderson and they say you know colonel major colonel jack o'neill colonel jack Mm -hmm. o'neill and he goes i'm retired it's a big thing that he's retired he keeps reminding people uh and occasionally other people remind him uh, they say, we need you to to come back uh, and talk to the general who's in charge of this project or whatever. I love that they were like, we need you to talk to General Name. And he's like, never heard of him. Well, he replaced General Other Name. Presumably that was the general who was in charge in yeah. the movie. So they were like, I like that they just had to reference like, oh, that guy's been replaced. We didn't want to recast. Yeah. Do you the, remember who played the general in the movie? General Hammond is the name of the general now. And he replaced General West. And it... I don't remember who played General West in the movie, but it's like there's a lot of little moments in the first season of SG-1 where yeah. they're like referencing the continuity of the film 
and being like, yes, we are aware of the film. Like, it was like they were really worried that they were going to get, like, the angry nerd letters being like, well, technically, General uh, West, general West was in charge. charge of this project. Yeah. But it's like they had to mention, like, oh, this other general's in charge now. Instead of just casting someone else to play the same general, yeah. which they did with some of the other characters, yeah. Yeah. it was just, it was like, okay, you're really going out of our way to establish this is, this but is different immediately general. following the movie, but different. So they go, sir, we need you to come back. It's the Stargate. And he's like, <sighs> and he goes back. He talks to the new general and the new general is like, so you're, uh, what happened with the old Stargate? And he's like, you read my report. And he's like, uh, yeah, but was that the whole story? Basically they're, they are absolutely certain that he left some details out of his report, which apparently he did. Mm-hmm. What he said in the report is, yeah, we um, we uh, sent a nuclear device through the portal and detonated it, and the everything's gone. Everything Only, on the other side of the gate is flattened. Yeah, yeah. is, is <laughs> gone. And uh, that's it. End of story. Do-do-do. And they're like, okay, well, cool. If that's true, then you won't mind if we uh, send another bomb through. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what now? Because what really happened is they did detonate this nuclear warhead or whatever the hell it was. Uh, but they detonated it on Ra's spaceship, which was in orbit over mm-hmm. the planet. Mm-hmm. So they managed to kill the villain who was the threat to Earth. But they didn't kill all of the people, innocent humans who were on the other side. And uh, they didn't apparently tell the government that Daniel decided to stay. Yeah. Ah. Which, this is like the the odd thing about this pilot is that the film had a very happy ending for Daniel. He had like a very strong arc. He was yeah. like, thing, I am no longer a nerd. I'm a hero. I will stay here at the end. And then, I get to be a hero and there's a pretty lady who wants to smooch me and I'm just going to stay here with these people and like yeah. help improve their lives with my knowledge of science. Yeah, or whatever. And it's like the, 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 the pilot of this show is essentially a 90-minute undoing of that happy ending for him from the film. Yeah, that's just a good point. That's true. Which is just an interesting, like, starting point for well, a new you, story. Yeah, well, I mean, when you when you was, give someone a happy ending, mm-hmm. it's hard to continue their story. Yes. With I mean, I suppose they didn't have to kind of fridge... Uh, Sheree, is that? Sh- yeah, so... Sh- Sheree? In, in the film, she's Sha'uri... Oh. Which Michael Shanks apparently could not pronounce convincingly. Shauri? So they changed it to Share because that's what Michael Shanks can pronounce. And it would be really awkward if he's like, Shauri, like, I, my wife is in danger and I'm a linguist and I shall save her, but I can't say her name right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, okay, fine. Different name that you can pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of hilarious. Yeah. I suppose that could be his pet name for her, like a shortened version. Sure. Sure. Sorry. Anyway, uh, he says it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Every time he sees her, basically. He murmurs her name. Uh, I guess she could have been, just come back and been like a part of the team. They didn't have to yeah. kind of make her a victim, I suppose. But I was afraid they were just going to straight up kill her. And that's how they would justify him wanting to come back. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh no. Oh no. Don't, don't just fridge the wife. Uh, but... Luckily, it's a little better than that, I suppose. There's some hope that she will be okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the plot. Jack admits that he left stuff out of his 
thing. Oh, they've brought in two guys, Kowalski and Ferretti from the original film, the two characters. Mm-hmm. They're back to be questioned regarding this or whatever. Yeah. They know things about the, the Stargate. Uh, he admits there's people on the other side. There are living people, including an American citizen. Right. <laughs> and a bunch of other innocent civilians on the other side of the Stargate don't send a bomb through. And the general's like, well, I'll see about that. That's my decision. We have a cute scene where Kowalski and Jack are stuck in a room together and they reference a bunch of events of the movie, including the kid, Scara, mm-hmm. who the first time they say his name, they just say Scar. Yeah. And I was like, and I'm like, Scar. And then the next time I said it, I was like, is it more like a Scar? Is there something else? And then they say Scara, and I'm like, can no one pronounce alien names in this freaking show? But... <laughs> Anyway, they reference that there was a little kid in the movie who was, like, constantly saluting Jack and, like, mm-hmm. liked Jack. And Jack's like, yeah, you're running me of my kid. Who, I'm assuming they never mentioned that he had a son in the movie. No, in, in the movie they do. It's oh, like, they do. he has recently lost his son. And okay, the, that is established in the, the film. His character is introduced in the at the beginning of the movie. He's, like, sitting there drunk, holding a gun, like, about to commit suicide. And then he gets the call, and they're like, we're sending you to a space portal so it's like his character is like this asshole with a death wish like for most of the movie and then he you know learns to love again or whatever and save the day yeah but like that's one of the things that like over the course of the first season they definitely retcon some elements of that character to make it a little more richard dean anderson like I feel like Richard Dean Anderson is a more lovable presence than Kurt Russell. Yeah. Like, Kurt Russell's like, Ugh, my wife left me and my kid's dead and I just want to die. And Richard Dean Anderson's like, I'm sad, but also I'm going to space, which, that's cool. Yeah. I I, I felt like it kind of worked in as much as I remembered the Kurt Russell yeah. character. That this is a year later and he mm-hmm. has actually found a certain measure of peace. Yeah. Uh, which he talks about a little bit mm-hmm. in the episode, but it's like, okay, cool. But Kowalski is very like, ah, oh, wow, we went through the whole mission together. I never knew you had a kid. And he's like, well, that's because he died right yeah. before the mission. And it was actually kind of a nice moment where you see Kowalski go like, boy, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say it, but his eyes are like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> your child died right before that mission? I understand so much more about what happened yeah. during that mission now. Okay. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> Some things have fallen into place in my brain about you. Then the general comes back in and he goes, okay, how many civilians? He says, I don't know, like 5,000 that we saw. And the general's like, oh, God damn it. That's maybe a few too many for me to just yeah. send a bomb through and go, the greater God. One of the things I do like about this initial episode is that it's a thing in like TV where it's like, I don't know you, so I don't know if I should trust you. Like in yeah. storytelling. Right. But what's really cool about this is that there's a, there's a lot of that early mistrust, but at the moments where it would be logical for people to open up and trust a little bit, yeah. they do, and they move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. I feel like a lot of shows would keep... Like, a lot of shows, the the do I trust this new General Hammond guy? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Would They'd play that out for seasons, and eventually he would warm up. And it's like, at a certain point, everybody in this is like, all right, we're all on the same page. Let's yeah. go fight the asshole in space. That's more interesting. Yeah, uh, the, the, the general has, like, a I think the major, who's, like, his second-in-command mm-hmm. Major character. Samuels. Yeah, who definitely seems to be very, like, I think we should just blow up this whole thing, His kind of his attitude. Yeah. And I was really afraid there was going to be some moment where he, like, ignores the general's... 
orders and, orders and yeah. like tries to blow up and almost kills our heroes. But he doesn't go that evil in mm-hmm. the episode. It's just clear that he's like, well, I have, I have different opinions, but I'm also following the rules. Right. So anyway, he's not the bad guy. He's yeah. not even, I wouldn't even call him an antagonist really in the episode. No. Uh, so they basically say, all right, we're going to send you guys on a mission. Oh, they, they say we need to send some kind of message. And they're like, yeah. how do we do that? So he's like, we'll get a, we'll get a probe from MIT. They'll have to ship it over here. Mm-hmm. And Jack's like, we don't need a probe. All we need is this. And he picks up a box of Kleenex from the table. Because it was a thing in the movie that James Spader sneezes a lot because he has allergies because he's a nerd. And they just, they say that. They're like, so what did you think about Dr. Daniel Jackson? And he's like, I don't know. He was a scientist. He sneezed a lot. Basically, he was a nerd, sir. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Boom. Just just summed it right up. It was like they were almost referencing the fact that he was a bit, his character was such a cliche. Yeah. So he takes a box of Kleenex, and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, look, if I throw this through this portal, and Daniel is still alive and he's still there, he will know it's from me and not someone, some random general he doesn't know, right? Yeah. So he tosses it through the portal. They wait a little while. Eventually the portal opens up again and the an empty dust sand covered tissue box comes through. Jack goes and picks it up and hands it over to the general like, well, there's your answer. And it says, thanks, send more. <laughs> Very cute. So then they put together a, a team to go through the portal, uh, which is Jack... Ferretti and Kowalski from the original movie and uh, like two other random soldiers and also a new scientist character, Dr. Captain uh, Sam Carter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when she walks into the room, it's very like, oh, you know, before she walks into this meeting, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to have uh, Captain Carter, Dr. Captain, can't remember what they say, Dr. Captain, will be on this team and Jack's like, well, when does he get here? Well, she's right here, or whatever. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. She walks in in a skirt and is very like, I earned my jockstrap about it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have a little back and forth of Kowalski being like, well, have you ever experienced very detailed scenario that sounds Pulling very out tough? of a simulated bombing run and getting eight Gs. Blah, blah, blah. And she goes, yes. And he goes, well... Going through the Stargate is even worse. <laughs> he and he and Ferretti are kind of giggling at each other about like, <coughs> girl. And she's like, all right, guys, get the hell over it. But there's also some weird lines that she's like, don't worry. I played with dolls as a kid. Like, what is, what, is, I'm, I'm sorry, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you conveying to us? Don't worry, I am a girl, even though I go by Sam and I'm a Air Force person. Yeah. No, no one is Claiming you're not, I mean, you're wearing heels and a skirt and lipstick and, like, nobody's trying to be like, oh, are you actually secretly a dude? I don't know. It was a weird exchange. Yeah. Moving on. They put together the, the team. There's a there's a notable line there okay. that is, like, the, the, the line, at some point in the exchange, she says, I'm just as capable as you, even though my, just because my reproductive organs are on the inside, inside instead of the outside doesn't mean I'm any less capable than you. Which is, like, an infamous line in this show okay um and it's just it is it's ridiculous yeah uh and the the reason i'm i'm bringing it up and this is as good a point as any to sort of mention this i purposefully tracked down the original pilot 
to watch with you because I wanted to talk about uh, the original yes. pilot as it was when I saw it, you know, back in, I think I first started watching Stargate in 2001, 2002, in 2017 or something like that to celebrate the, some anniversary of this franchise. They released a a, re a remastered special edition of this pilot that quote unquote fixed a lot of things. So there's a lot of stuff like there's a spaceship in the pilot later that is never seen again in the series. So they reconfigured the spaceship to look like the ones that show up later in the show to like have. So there's like some nerd continuity stuff that I don't really care about either way. It doesn't mm -hmm. really affect my enjoyment of the show. And then there's a couple of things where they've actually redubbed dialogue or recut dialogue exchanges because they like attitudes about certain scenes, like looking back, they're like, oh, awkward. Yeah. One of the lines that is notably gone from the remastered pilot is, is her reproductive re organ line. Yes. What does she say instead? Uh, there's just, it's just more of like an awkward kind of, you know, it's still very much an I earn my jockstrap. Yeah. Scene, but that specific line is gone. Okay. That's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. But. But I'm glad that we, yeah. When, when Stranger first mentioned to me, like, we're going to have to put off watching this pilot for a minute because I need to f track down the original. I went, oh yeah, by all means, I want to watch the original yeah. version. I don't want to watch any kind of retconned, zhuzhed up version. Yeah. I want to see the one that people originally saw. The one that was, that. The pilot. The actual pilot. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, following that, they all go through the portal and they go to the... Abydos. Abydos, which is the planet that the portal went to, the, the Stargate went to in the first film. And it feels just like the original movie, from mm -hmm. what I remember. They, they actually reuse the special effects sequence of traveling through the wormhole. The like, like the sort of 2001 A Space Odyssey-esque yeah. uh, CGI portal zoomy nonsense. Yeah. Which is notable because once the series picks up, they actually have a new effects sequence for traveling through the wormhole. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they lose, like it's a detail in the film and the show that you come out of the wormhole and you're like covered in frost and your your cells are fucked up and yeah. you're like, ugh. And they lose that for the run of the show after this pilot. And it's explained that Earth had their gate calibrated wrong and once they've looked at a couple of other gates, they're like, ah, this is how we should do it. So it's also a fun way to retcon why they're not using the same effects loop video from That's, the I'll, I'll go with it, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just like, I, I, there's just a few of these little like nerd details that I love it, that I'm pointing out. So. Yeah, it would get kind of tedious if every episode, every time they go through Stargate, they have to take a minute to be like, gosh, I feel like garbage and I'm so cold. They would yeah. have to address it every yeah, single yeah. time. I don't blame them for wanting to kind of... And that's a perfectly acceptable sort of hand wave for, yeah. for why that would change. And it's I'm also fine with it. It's also funny watching how long and how big of a deal traveling through the Stargate is for this show, considering that, like, by the time they get to, you know, seasons six through ten, you know, there's that style of filmmaking where it's like showing that someone's in a hurry. So it's like, it's like quick shot, grab keys, quick shot, pour coffee, quick shot, key goes into car ignition, quick shot, car pulls out on the road. You know, it's like yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yeah. 
gate travel becomes that way in the later seasons. So to see them like standing there at the gate, looking at the glowy thing, being like, we should go through. And then they step through and the music, the music swells and it's like yeah. a 90 second long effects sequence. Yeah, it was, I was surprised how long the yeah. like swooshing Skew, woo, through woo. Yeah. space sequence was. I was like, this really goes on. Yeah. And like by like the middle of the show's run, it's just like, there's even like sometimes you'll just hear a there's like a sound cue it's like and then they're standing on the new planet going ah we're here <laughs> but yeah. like there's not even you don't even see the 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 puddle they call it yeah. the puddle oh uh, yeah so. makes sense they get to Abydos and there's a bunch of people with guns I guess they left guns behind yeah so that's a thing. And then Daniel appears and is like, well, I think they say Scara first. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm going to salute you a bunch so you guys know I'm the kid that I, you were mentioning in the previous scene. And Jack hugs him and it's tender. Daniel shows up. At any rate, they're talking to Daniel about like, what's going on? Some guys came through, some like crazy, like raw looking dudes came through. I'm oh, sorry, raw as in the sun god, not like R.A.W. Guys are really raw. <laughs> so some guys who look like the villains from the first movie came through our gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's the deal? And Daniel's like, well, they sure as hell didn't come from here. We've uh, we've I've had the boys on like, I've had the we've, we've had a watch on the gate thirty six hours a day. <laughs> nice the cute detail. D- detail in there. Um, you know, uh, we've had people watching this gate. They did suggest that Daniel at one point had blocked off the gate mm-hmm. at the end of the mo- at the events of the movie. Mm-hmm. He blocked off the gate so people couldn't. There could be no more going back and forth. Yeah. And then they recently unblocked it, but I feel like they didn't explain why. It's because he right after the scene, Daniel goes and shows them he's found another ruin That's right. with the map of Stargates. And it implies that there are thousands of Stargates all over the galaxy. Yeah. And so he's unburied his gate and he's trying to connect to these other planets because curiosity, scientist, cat, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So they've oh, reopened it, but they've had people on watch. So like, definitely nobody went through this gate. Yeah. And they're like, well, then how did they get there? And he's like, well, takes them to this other place and shows them this other like room that he found... That's, yeah, full of hieroglyphics that appear to be coordinates. Yeah. One more small detail that we skip past. This is, another, this is another one of those uh, special edition things. When they come out, they see what uh, eventually in the run of the series gets referred to as the DHD, the dial home device. It's like a giant kind of plinth with all the symbols of the Stargate on it. And you can push them and it makes the gate dial. Uh, which Earth doesn't have. They couldn't find the one on Earth. All they have oh. is the ring. They don't have the DHD. So that's why Earth's gate is all shaky and there's the earthquake and things and why it's not calibrated right is because they had to make it from... To figure out how to dial it. So uh, Samantha Carter sees it and goes, oh my God, it's so small. It took three supercomputers and 16 years to MacGyver a DHD back home. Yeah, So which was a nice reference to mm -hmm. Richard Dane Anderson as MacGyver. So actually, Amanda Tapping, in her audition, read the dialogue of that scene and improvised saying MacGyver. Ah. So they put it in, because it's cute. It's cute. And it, I mean, it reads. People say that. They right. say MacGyver something. It, it was, I thought it was adorable. And yeah. it didn't read as like, like, Jack doesn't like do a take to camera or anything or go, what the hell does that mean? They don't call it out. She yeah. just says it because it's a word people say. Right. So it was, it was very nice. I liked it. 
it was apparently not liked by the producers of the show because that's another thing that they took out for the special edition. And she says, jerry-rigged. Yeah. I'm flipping off the mic right now. I'm sorry. Both hands. I, I, that's an inexplicable decision. Like some of the other things that have been changed that we'll get into in a little bit, like very explicable. But this, I'm like, leave it. It's great. Yeah. That's dumb. They probably like, oh, no, it, it points out the fact that it's just, you know, it yeah. must be all. That seems like a, like a weird nerd decision. Yeah. Like, oh, no, I don't want to think about the fact that he's MacGyver, because in this he's Jack O'Neill. He needs to yeah. be Jack O'Neill. I don't know. I have know. no idea. Anyway. Whatever. Dumb. Uh, moving on. So while they're exploring the oh, map the, of Stargates. Yes. Uh, the, the snake aliens come through the Stargate to Abydos. And they, they, you know, everyone's like, ah, guns! And then ping, 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 the snakeheads deflect the bullets. And they energy spear a bunch of people. And then they walk up and they they grab Scara first, I think. And do the, like, hand. They put their hand over his head and a light comes out of their hand. And the person kind of goes, ah. And they're like, yes, you will do, or whatever. Like, all of a sudden, the, al- the alien starts speaking English. I think he yeah. speaks exclusively alien in the first scene. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he just switches over to English. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, and he says, like, yes, you will do, and takes Skara, and you're kind of like, okay, so they took the, the lady f- uh, officer in the first scene, mm-hmm. now they're taking Skara, and then they grab Sheree as well, and mm-hmm. light hand her head and go, yeah, you will be good as well, and they take both of them through the gate. Yes. And then, uh, as the rest of the team runs back to the temple, I guess, mm-hmm. area, uh, it's too late. Uh, they've already, I think they, do they see them going through the gate or do they arrive after they've already gone? They arrive right as the gate disengages. It's, yeah, disengages. So, uh, Ferretti is, was there. Ferretti mm-hmm. stayed behind. He's injured and they're like, we've got to get him back. He's, 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 he needs medical attention or whatever. So they, they DHD themselves back to earth. They convince Daniel to come with them. Mm-hmm. If they're like, You've got to come with us. It was part of his, part of Jack's mission was like, bring Daniel back this time. Right. Like, Jackson's got to come back. Uh, and he is amenable to this because his wife is, has been, I think he's like, no, I can't go. I've got to find my wife. And Jack's like, uh, w- yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> to find your, yeah. To well, find the guys who have your wife at the very least. And you'll have more resources if you come back to Earth with yeah. us. Yeah. So he has like a tearful goodbye with the people of Abydos and basically says, I don't know if I'll ever be able to come back, but like you need to close up, block off the gate mm-hmm. after this mm-hmm. to make sure you guys stay safe. And he says something like, in one year from today, unblock it for one day and yeah. I will try to come back. But if I don't come back, you got to block it up again and then it stays sealed forever. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a nice way to be like, Okay, look, we're not coming back to Abydos for a while, but like we're leaving the door open for next season. Back on Earth, uh, General Hammond is uh, not too pleased with Daniel, but then there's meetings. They decide to go through the gate again. Oh, because Ferretti saw the symbols. Yeah. It's uh, also yes. new information for the General on Earth that the Stargate can go more places yes, than yes. just to Abydos. Thank you. Please feel free to follow up it's all right. to add information when I start to get lost. You're, you're doing uh, you're doing really well. Thank you. There's a lot, guys. Anyway, there's there's symbols around the edge of the Stargate, 
and like different symbols engage when they go through the gate. So now we know that, yes, different symbols in different order take you to different places. Beretti, magically, not only could see all the symbols mm-hmm. on the gate, when the aliens went back, he, mem- he remembered all of them when he woke up from a coma, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> For someone who hasn't seen this gate in a year and isn't a scientist. Uh, with an, with any expertise, but he's like he mem- he's he knows yeah. he remembers exactly yeah. uh, what 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 symbols in what order mm-hmm. convenient. So they go through the gate. You use the those symbols to go through the gate to go back. Uh, they have two teams: SG one and SG two. Now we know where the show name came from. Uh, Kowalski is in charge of SG two, and he's supposed to come back. Kowalski is the base camp. Yeah. For SG-1, which are going to look for the kidnapped people. Yeah. So they land on planet Vancouver. <laughs> uh, because uh, it's harder on a TV budget when you're shooting in Canada to uh, film a desert planet. So it's very convenient. Oh, they do one outdoor shot when they're in Abydos. And strangely filled in for me, like, this was just a shot from the film that they reused. I'm like, <laughs> no, that math checks out. Mm-hmm. It, it works. Mm-hmm. And and why would they try? I mean, they're not going to completely recreate this like giant sand dune and a temple and people walking down when it's from a distance. You can't see exactly who yeah. the people are. So it's like, yeah, it works. So they land on planet in Vancouver and a new Stargate in the middle of some woods with evergreens and mm-hmm. snow-capped mountains in the background. Uh, then they yeah they leave the Kowalski with base camp. They set up a bunch of explosive devices around the perimeter, which will mm-hmm. come to play later. Uh, a bunch of claymores, which I was like, swords? <laughs> Apparently that's also an explosive. So then um, a team, which is Jack, Sam, Carter, mm-hmm. and Daniel Jackson, uh, Jackson uh, all go uh, to find to try and find what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then they see some people with hoods and and spears and they look like mystical kind of people walking through the woods and Daniel just walks up to them and tries talking to them and they're like, ah, and he says the Abydos word for the Stargate mm-hmm. and they immediately like bow before him and he's like, oh, not again. Please, please don't bow. I'm not a god. Oh gosh. Uh, I just went, I've just dealt with a year of undoing that behavior in Abydos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and basically... He kind of, they talk to him, and he's a linguist with experience in ancient languages, so he kind of understands what something of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's which implies these are also humans from Earth mm-hmm. who were bought, brought to this planet by aliens in the yeah. same manner as the people on Abydos. Uh, and they then go, Oh, are you here? They say in alien, some in the language they're speaking, he says, Oh, they said they're asking, it seems like they're asking if we're here to choose. And so it goes, yes, sure, choosing is good. We're here to choose. So then they carry them, they bring them back to this vaguely <laughs> ancient thing. It looks like a mishmash of a bunch of... Uh, it's kind of Greek-Roman kind yeah. of... So there's a lot of Corinthian pillars and shit. Yeah, and people in, in like, f- sort of uh, crowns made out of plants and sort of draped fabrics yeah. around their bodies. And they're at a low table, and they're eating food and everything, and then they bring them in, and he's like, why are they... Jack's like, why are they treating us like this? And Daniel's like, well, they think we're gods. 
And so you think, oh, these people have mistaken them mm-hmm. for being in league with Ra? Mm-hmm. Apophis. Yes, Apophis. Ra's Thank you. brother. I was like, Ra, Ra's the new Ra? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we have seen that Sheree and Skara are mm-hmm. in this room with a bunch of people, mostly women. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, Scara, uh, sorry, Skara was in a different room than Sheree. Yeah. So there's there's two rooms. There's one room full of, like, men and women. But and just like... sort of vague people with all sorts of crazy outfits mm-hmm. from various different cultures. Uh, and then there's another room with, like, a like kind of like a harem kind of thing. Yeah. With a bunch of women from... Uh, ostensibly various different cultures. Yeah, well. but they're all wearing sort of like sexy, draped, yeah. sort of... Flimsy. Flimsy clothing and yeah. what have you. Also, there's like... I swear there's a dude in the background who's just like waving his hands over one of the women. I'm like, is he doing Reiki? What is happening? <laughs> What's going on? Anyway, no it was idea. in the background and I was like, did that extra just decide like a weird move and nobody called him on it? Anyway... They come in at one point and, like, look at all of the women and go, hmm, her. And they take the uh, uh, the uh, our officer from the first scene, yeah, who is now wearing officer. a sexy white and gold dress. But they've let her keep her dog tags, which is nice. Because I think they were afraid we wouldn't remember who she is. Yeah. Like, when they grab her, she goes, I demand to be told where I'm being taken. I'm a, an officer of the U.S. Air Force. It's like, yes, thank you for confirming we know who the character is now. Anyway, Thanks. she is brought before Ra's brother. Apophis. Apophis. I went through an ancient Egypt phase. Why can't I remember that? Is that a, that's presumably a real? I guess name of a real god the way Ra is, yeah. but I don't remember that character. Anyway, he's she's brought before him. They just rip her clothes off, but mm-hmm. it's shot in such a way that you never see anything but naked yeah. shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then he does the the light on her face thing, and she seems to be conscious she can see she can move her eyes around and everything but she's no has no control over her body at that she's point she's like immobilized yeah they lay her down on like a table and then he's like you will be a perfect vessel for my future queen and then he pulls aside some drapery and a woman walks out mm-hmm. who i don't know what's about what, what's wrong with her she seemed fine she seemed very attractive so she was so the um i know she's the She's the there's, incubator yeah. or whatever. So there's and a there's a, it's, it's Oh, there's a scene earlier that I skipped yeah. where they're examining one of the aliens, right? So there's these aliens uh that have like a belly pouch, kind of like they look like humans, but they have like a crisscross opening in their tummy that's like a pouch that's an incubator for these snake alien things. Yeah. They they show him earlier in the episode before they go through the Stargate. They're like, Well, this is one of the guys that came through. Yeah. He's got a gold uh, sci-fi thing on his forehead, mm-hmm. which is the thing I was referencing in yeah. in the, what we know. Uh, they say, well, this guy's not human. And Jack says, well, this is not the kind of person that we saw in Abydos. They were yeah. all just totally normal human. And he, they say, well, it, it appears he's got some sort of pouch like mm-hmm. the ones marsupials have. And someone else goes, like a kangaroo. I'm like, yeah, we fucking know what marsupials are. The, uh, <laughs> Thank you. So the marsupial people are called Jaffa. Yeah. Just for the record. Yeah. And uh, he says it later. It's the fine. the the woman that comes out is a uh, Jaffa, but the Jaffa can't be like the vessels for the Gualwuld, which are the snake aliens. Oh, okay, thank you. So the lady comes out. We haven't seen one of the snake aliens yet, right? We yeah. just know that there's a pouch in yeah. some of these people. She comes out, stands before the naked Air Force lady, 
and then like raises her dress or whatever and like creepy you know snake alien thing with with teeth comes out of her stomach and kind of like checks out the lady and Apothos is like do you approve of her oh here's a super deep voice like unnaturally the actor clearly doesn't just have a deep voice they did an effect on him he's like do you approve of her my love and she kind of like checks her out and then screams and goes back inside and he's like damn it no good so he just kills her yeah he does the the light thing to her head, but he does it extra hard and blood comes out of her mouth mm. and she's dead and I was sad. I thought that the fact that she had the dog tags was going to be a hint that she was going to be found later or something mm-hmm. and the dog tags was how they would be they would know. Yeah. But apparently they were just there so the audience would know who she was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they go back to the harem and this time they pick Sheree and she is then brought and this I feel like almost happens immediately afterwards. There's yeah. like another scene maybe of some, maybe the Scara or something. But like, they, they go right to this next scene and the same thing happens, right? She enters, Apothos goes like, mm, yes, I approve, you're hot, or whatever. I'm quality, I'm seeing in you, healthy, I don't know. He does look at somebody's teeth at one point. I think he looks at Sheree's teeth when he first takes her, which is yeah. like, he feels kind of cliche, but whatever. Uh, so he then goes, yes, excellent. They do the exact same process as before. Clothes are ripped off, Light on her face. She's laid out on the table. Except this time, head-to-toe nudity. (laughs) Everything else previously was shot in such a way that we don't even see side boob of the the white lady from America. Yeah. We don't even see side boob. We see nothing but shoulder and, like, knees to to feet are naked for her, right? Mm -hmm. It's all suggested. Sheree, we see head to toe naked, and then she lays on the table, and we just, her boobs are on screen for like a full minute. And I'm like, they could have easily framed that shot closer so we just see the swell of her breast, yeah, but not her nipples. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just surreal. Why are we all of a sudden, we went from no nudity to like excessive nudity? Yep. And I believe you know something about this. So choice. this was a Showtime pilot. Ah, right. Showtime is one of the premium paid cable channels. Da, 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 da. They gotta, they gotta earn their uh, premium cable status by putting yeah. boobies in at least one episode. But what's bizarre about this is nothing else in this pilot comes close to this. There's no, there's no cursing. Mm-hmm. There's no like excessively bloody violence. There's no, you know, there, there's nothing. And then there's just this like wildly out of place like full frontal nudity yeah it feels very very strange because it's especially because in the previous scene that's it it doesn't explain why in the previous scene they were were like almost overly careful about not showing any nudity do you know why there was that difference between don't know why there was a specific difference i do know that the nudity is very much like because it's a showtime show and they wanted to have the nudity or whatever but no, like a lot of people have tried to get to the bottom of it and ask about it because, like, everything else about the show is very like. It could have aired on any hard channel. PG, light PG thirteen. Like, yeah. it's just like it's in that like sweet spot, like yeah. family. No f bombs. Yeah, yep. No excessive violence. None. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, this scene is one of the ones that's edited out in the like remaster. Which, like, that is fine. Honestly, yeah. there's no reason for. 
all, it's just, yeah, I mean, like, for them to strip off her clothes and for you to see her naked for a moment, it's like, sure, but, like, yeah. they just linger mm-hmm. head to toe nudity. Yeah. And then when they show her face, just her boobs are also in the shot yeah. for the entire time yeah. while Sheree is being violated yeah. by this uh, snake alien that, like, sees her and goes, no, I like this one. The last one was way too white. Yeah. The, the only theory that I have is that Showtime demanded that the show include some nudity for, like, sexiness reasons or something. Yeah. And so they, like, filmed this scene and they tried to make it as, like, awkward and not interesting as possible so they wouldn't have to do it again. Or something. Like, it's it's a bizarre choice that I've, I've like, Google. I've tried I, to find, like, yeah. somebody... Because the show had, like, a very consistent creative vision through the entire run of the series. Yeah. Like, so much of what is still present in seasons 8, 9, 10 is present in this very first episode. Yeah. I wonder if they shot the scene with the Air Force officer first. Mm-hmm. And then the network saw it and went, what? Hey, hey, we're showtime here. Why aren't you? This is a perfect opportunity for nudity. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we're, we are shooting another scene. They're like, yeah, there's another scene in the script where another lady goes through this. All right? We're not paying for you to reshoot this one, but make sure you show the titties in the next one. Yeah. And they were like, fine, we'll show extra titties in this one. Yeah. Even though it makes it extra weird that it's yeah. like zero nudity to all of the nudity. Anyway, moving on. The alien likes her, possesses her. Yeah, possesses her. The snake, the alien worm thing goes into Sheree and now she's the queen or whatever. So then they're in, they're back at that dinner sort of banquety mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. with the our, our heroes and Apothos comes in and goes, bow before your queen. And Sheree walks in and she looks kind of like Rita Repulsa because she's got this weird headdress on. And she's like clearly just like, hello, I'm a queen now. She's not Sheree anymore. Yeah. There's no sign of her being afraid or confused or anything. She doesn't recognize Daniel. He stands up and tries to run to her. He's knocked down. Anyway, they get taken to the room with all of the other people from various different places. They reconnect with Skara. He explains that they took Sheree. Um, And then... Dude comes in. So... All of this time that we've been seeing these women getting captured and everything, Apophis's right-hand man is the guy with the sci-fi stuff on his forehead that yes. you mentioned. Christopher mm-hmm. Judge as Teal'c. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been implied the way some of the scenes have been shot that yes. Teal'c is not 100% on board with what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Definitely they very, I think, well, subtle, subtly. Yeah. It, but clearly implied that he's like... I don't know how I feel about all this kidnapping and murdering and yeah. uh, aliens in people's heads thing, situation. Like, he's a little bit nonplussed with the whole situation. So he comes in to the room with all of the people mm-hmm. and goes up to Jack, grabs his wrist and says, what is this? And Jack's like, it's a watch. Mm-hmm. And he says something about, this is not word. Gua'uld technology. Ah, Okay. So he's referring to the the snake worm mm-hmm. people. Yes. Ra and, and Co. So he says, where are you from? And he's like, Earth? I mean, Chicago, if you want to get specific. And he's like, your words mean nothing. And that's when Daniel draws some symbol. 
Presumably one of the symbols yeah. from so it's the... it's the triangle with the circle on top of it that is the symbol for Earth from the original Stargate movie. Oh, okay. And also the A in, like, the Stargate logo that, like, oh, the A is a weird Oh, that's why it's got a little a circle the, over that's it. That's the oh. symbol for Earth. Okay. Because that's why you need seven symbols to dial the Stargate. Six symbols denote a point in space. And then the last symbol is the symbol of where you're leaving from, your planet. And in which case, we're the, cir- we're the triangle circle planet. Oh, Okay. So yeah, he says uh, he draws it in the in the dust and says we're from here. Right. And then Teal'c is like, mm, interesting. Which they don't ever talk about this, but in the movie, Earth successfully had a rebellion, overthrew Ra, and chased him away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's implied that we're like the rebellious planet that stood up to the Gua'uld. Yeah. Like eight thousand years ago or something. Because <laughs> woohoo, humanity, we're the yeah. best. Yeah. So he kind of goes like, oh, those motherfuckers, and leaves. So then later, basically, uh, Apothos is like, okay, cool. Uh, we're go- oh, he, he comes back to the room of people and says, now we're going to pick a couple of you to be the vessels for our children. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you're like, okay, so more snake aliens are going to go into more people. Yeah. Uh, I don't like why we keep saying snakes. They're really more worm-like, I think. Yeah. Creepy worm bugs. Anyway. Uh, so he picks a couple more people and of course Skara gets chosen, uh, and taken away. And then he, as Apathos leaves, he says, kill the rest of them. We don't need them. And Teal'c is very like, ooh, really? With the killing. And then, uh, he's, uh, all the other snake-headed dudes, I guess that's it. Yeah, they have the snake heads, but they're not the snake aliens. They're the Jaffa. Mm-hmm. They've got the big metal snake heads with glowing red eyes yeah. that is... Mmm, they look very dated. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things about this show, genuinely, I was shocked they didn't look that dated. Mm-hmm. The big metal snake heads looked very cheap and dated. So, they're all there with their uh, energy spears, ready to kill everyone. Teal'c is kind of looking nonplussed about having to murder a bunch of civilians. And Jack steps forward and goes, I can help you. Or something like that. Yeah, and like- Teal'c looks at him and says, many people have said that. But you're the first one I trusted to do it and throws an energy spear at him. And somehow they managed to just kill all of the snake-headed Jaffa guys. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that they have all of the weapons except Jack. Uh, All of the other Jaffa were uh, kidnapped from the Stormtrooper planet and they have terrible aim. Yeah. So they basically successfully get the, they, they, they energy spear a hole in the wall and they get all of these now refugees basically through the hole. We're flashing back constantly to back on Earth where the Major is going, ah, we're getting pretty close to the wire uh, for, it was 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Basically they said, if you don't come back in 24 hours, we're sealing the gate. And they've got like tr- some transmitters to basically say, hey, it's us. We're coming through the gate, everyone on the team. And they're like, we'll be blocking your transmitter like uh, yeah. signals and we'll be closing the gate. Ooh, they, yes, they showed after the, the first trip to Abydos that they've built a new aspect onto the Stargate, mm-hmm. which is a t- big titanium iris, basically, that closes, which honestly they probably should have uh, put one of those on the Stargate to start with. Yeah. But... Was an issue, so they put that on there so they can control who comes in. Smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they say we'll close the iris, we'll c- 
cut off your signals at after 24 hours. So we've been flashing back to Earth, and the general is clearly like, mm, I don't, I don't want to do it. I want them to be able to come back. So we think he's kind of a good guy. And yeah. the major is being a little bit like, well, I don't know. It's pretty close. It's less than an hour. Maybe we should just do it now. And the general's like, a lot can happen in an hour. Yeah. So anyway, the, back on uh, Planet of Vancouver, they're trying to get all of the refugees back to the Stargate. Meanwhile, Apothos and his queen and all of their children yeah. in the bodies of, of uh, various refugees are, uh, or uh, kidnapped alien, or mm. humans from other planets, whatever they are, are uh, approaching the Stargate to pass through to go back to wherever their home planet is, presumably. Mm-hmm. There's a big battle scene. Basically, it's down to the wire. Uh, they go through... Um, oh, Skara... Uh, seems to recognize jack calls out to him and scar turns around as if he maybe still remembers his host's name because mm-hmm. one of the things oh when they're trying to pick the children who will be the vessels for my children daniel tries to offer himself up yeah and he asks apothos directly he's clearly kind of figured out what's happening because yeah, he's yeah. a smarty pants so he goes how much of the host remains there must be something so he's trying to offer himself up because yeah. maybe he thinks that would be better than than being without sheree i yeah. guess um, so, but they pick Skara instead. Mm. So then when they call out, when Jack calls out to Skara, Skara turns around, perhaps as if he still recognizes his host's name, even though they've all clearly been taken over by uh, worm bug snake mm-hmm. aliens. Uh, but then he just like, he has now a thing in his hand that can do the zappy thing and their eyes glow. That's the thing that indicates that they've got an, a bug inside them mm-hmm. is their eyes glow. Uh, he zaps jack off of his feet and they all go through the gate Mm -hmm. so goodbye they're gone now then they're rushing to get everyone through the gate meanwhile the jaffa the the big metal snakehead guys are coming to fight so there's a big battle people get shot explosions in the nick of time they manage to get everybody through the gate sam is the first one who comes through and is like don't shoot they're refugees as all of the crazy people from the from the, 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 the prison or whatever are, are coming through mm-hmm. the gate at the very last second. Right as they're trying to get everyone through, Kowalski shoots one of the Jaffa and a, 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 a worm bug snakes its way out and just like leaps at Kowalski's neck and is like in mm-hmm. without leaving a wound, apparently. Yeah. A noticeable wound. And we're like, I actually shouted, no! <laughs> because of, not Kowalski! Uh, so then they go back, but then they go back through, and they're like, hooray, everything's fine, more or less. Mm-hmm. We got it. Everybody's here. We're going to refugees and stuff. And I guess now Star- Planet uh, Project Stargate is a thing that's going to happen continually in episode form from now on and then they're like hey Kowalski are you okay and he's like yeah 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 I'm fine and right as they're all leaving the room Kowalski looks at the camera and his eyes and that's the end right yeah that's it did it well I think it's time for our first segment which we like to call where did the money go This is the segment where we speculate on sort of where the budget was spent in the making of this pilot, if anything notable was more expensive than anything else. 
what do you think, Sarah? Where did the money go? I honestly feel like this was pretty well budgeted. It it does not look as dated as it kind of should, which makes me think it probably it probably had a fairly healthy budget. I mean, and it was a Showtime show, which mm-hmm. I would assume means they get a little more money than like a network show would. Um, this is like a premium cable channel, so. Right. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, a lot of stuff, uh, they clearly saved a lot of money by hiring, like, uh, you know, I don't know, somebody's nephew to play that really, that one really bored dude who gets, like, a weird amount of screen time. Oh, yeah, there's, like, <laughs> multiple shots of that guy. Of this one, like, soldier who just, in every shot, even when he's, like, escorting someone away or something like that, he just looks like, why am I here? Benjamin Boardman. Yeah, like, why is he, why is he there? I have no idea. When they're getting ready for someone to come through the gate and they're like, this time we're prepared and there's two guys like sitting behind the big guns where it's such a big gun you have to sit in a chair to operate it. And he's just sitting there like (laughs) staring. He's kind of like staring off into space, like not directly in front of him, just like kind of, another day at the office. I don't know. But he didn't look like he was doing it as a bit either. Anyway. It's, like, it's but probably odd. that guy, like, whoa, I don't know. I was going to joke that guy won a contest, but then he'd be more excited. I, I can't explain why that guy was so bored. Right. Uh, no, in general, though, I think the effects, um, and aside from the, the only thing that kept making me go, like, oh, boy, was the, the big snake heads with the glowing eyes. They just right. looked a little cheesy. Which, I don't know if you remember in the film, there were the guys who had, like, the Osiris head and the yeah. jackal head, and mm-hmm. then those would, like, open up in, like, the cool kind of transformation, like, effect. Yeah, they were, ju, 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 yeah, and then yeah. a person's face. Yeah. And this, they kind of just had, like, a thing that, a little, one panel that went, yeah. It's like the very, very budget version of that. Yeah. So those did look a little bit like, okay, you're trying to recreate something from a movie budget yeah. on a TV budget. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I felt like it was pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it is a, a, in terms of like making like a big kind of like, you know, adventure swashbuckling sci-fi thing, they really did a, a great job. I mean, obviously like there's a lot of standing sets that are going to be around for a while. The mm-hmm. gate room, yeah. the, the meeting rooms in Stargate Command. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, Planet Vancouver was very obviously like, ah, yes, here we are in something that is much easier to shoot than a desert planet. Yeah. Um, and all of the costumes, when they were trying to costume a bunch of people who were supposed to have been kidnapped from, like, various different ancient cultures, uh-huh. that did look a little bit, like... We got these off the rack from a costume yeah. warehouse. Like, hey, uh, <laughs> anybody got a line on, uh, leftover costumes for a bunch of Sam Raimi productions? Yeah, yeah. Like... Just like uh, at least half of those people have to be wearing castoffs from Hercules and Xena. I mean, yeah, there is a little now. bit, especially in in the the first few seasons of of SG One. There's a lot of that kind of like, I don't know, yeah, Hercules and Xena. Like it, it's very, it's like they're using they're reusing stuff from like very '90s prop houses. Yeah, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, like I mean, the, it was a '90s show. Yeah, it starts in what '97, '98. Yeah, 97. Anyway, in general, though, yeah. I feel like overall, they did a pretty good job. For a 90-minute pilot in that time period where they're trying to recreate a movie mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to give them a thumbs up. They did pretty dang good. So I think we can move on to our next segment. Cliffs and Chips! This is the segment where we like to talk about 
predictions for the future of the show, particularly the first season cliffhanger. And also if we have any ships, relationships we want to see developed and kind of uh, grown. Obviously, strangely, you can't participate in this mm-hmm. portion. Uh, for me, I feel like my biggest first season thing uh, would be to guess that a lot of this season, one of the overarching stories this season is Daniel has not given up on saving his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're probably going to be mostly going on little adventures and it'll be kind of a, a background thing. But I would guess his promise to the people of Abydos that he will re- try to return to them in a year, if that's not going to be the season one cliffhanger, it's going to be something big at the top of season two. So I... That's my big guess. Uh, seems pretty, pretty safe bet. Uh, and for ships, uh, I got nothing uh, because I actually I friendship Carter and Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, Sam and Daniel, because like they're both nerds, but it seems like in very in kind of different ways. Very different specialities. Yeah, it's very different specialities. So they're not gonna always. They kind of can like talk to each other, but, like, they know different things. And she's kind of nerding out because he's the one... She she was on the Stargate pro, uh, project before he was brought on. And she mentions at, at some point, like, look, I've been on this project... For, I was on this project for years before any of y'all got here. Yeah. I just... They made me stay in the lab, and I didn't get to... I should have been the one instead of Jackson who went on that mission. So, but then she's also a little bit in awe of Jackson as a bit of a celebrity because he was the one who got to go to the Stargate. Yeah. So that seems like it could be a really interesting dynamic between the mm-hmm. two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say for the record, I just really hope they don't try to develop some sort of will they won't lay between Jack and Sam. <laughs> You're trying to keep a straight face. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. You're keeping a very good poker face. Good poker face. Um, I, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want that, but, you know, it's a, it was a Showtime show in the 90s. They probably wanted somebody to occasionally make out, I guess, but that remains to be seen. Uh, moving on from there, since you can't participate in this segment, mm-hmm. uh, we'll go on to our next one. What will this show be? This is where we try to talk about what we think the kind of day-to-day vibe of the show will be, uh, post-pilot. Obviously, you also can't participate in this one. I think it's just going to be, yeah, adventures. New adventures, going to new planets, exploring where the Stargate can go, going to different parts of Vancouver. (laughs) Uh, While overall still trying to deal with the issue of finding the uh, Apophis Mm -hmm. and uh, still with that in mind of neutralizing that threat. And for Daniel, of course, also... Uh, and for Jack saving uh, Sheree and Scott. Mm. So. I don't think it's a big spoiler to tell you that that is yeah. 100% correct. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that I love this show is that this is one of the the last sci-fi shows that I feel like struck a perfect balance between planet and or creature of the week, thing of the week, and sort of a bigger overarching narrative of we got to go get that guy or we got to go save those people yeah. or we got to stop this thing. And of course they've got a, they've got a cuckoo in the nest because Kowalski, I almost forgot about that, has, yeah. has one of the, the, the owls of Gawul inside of him. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> the owls. Isn't that the what the Gaul? The owls of Gahul? Gahul, whatever they're it's called. It's very similar. <laughs> but that that balance is, I think, really critical to having good long form storytelling. Something that we see a lot in this day and age is these shows where you the first episode is just part one and everything is all continuing as one big story and you don't get to have the kinds of of side quests or you know those quieter moments or different moments yeah so something that this show does great is there are some episodes that are almost like a heist or a, a sports drama or a uh, comedy. Yeah. And they, they balance those really well because what that adds up to at the end of a season or at the end of five, six seasons or the end of the show is that you get to explore histories and character traits in the leads that you wouldn't if they were just constantly rushing forward toward the big battle or the big revelation or whatever. Right, yeah. And it also creates uh, sort of space for for odd stories or, or or new stories or people trying something a little different yeah uh someone who is not to the best of my knowledge involved with the pilot but who became a big creative voice later on in the series is peter deloise dom deloise's son hmm. and he wrote a lot of he wrote and directed a lot of the really really fantastic standalone episodes because there are oh cool there are some just brilliant standalone episodes of this show that do they get a couple of good bottle episodes in oh yeah i love a bottle episode there's there's some amazing bottle episodes in this this franchise um that uh actually stargate atlantis very notably has a bottle episode where it is 100 like in one room and then at the very end they have one giant special effect shot that clearly they're like, it's going to be a bottle episode. It's just two people sitting in a box talking. And then yeah. we're going to show you one really cool thing. Credits. Yeah. We're going to spend the rest of the budget on that 30 second clip and yep. then done. Good. Yeah. Time. And the, the, the show seemed to have that kind of flexibility. There were, there was also a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's something that like, you know, there's always one episode of every season of Doctor Who where the doctor doesn't appear. So that right. they can have like a lower budget episode to spend more money on the finale. Yeah. There's a lot of notable cases of that throughout uh, Stargate SG-1 where it's like, this episode is a this. Or like, they even do some clip shows. Oh which, no. But like, even those are like, I think they're really well done because they're doing like a clip show, but then all of a sudden there'll be a new clip that wasn't a previous episode. They flash back to something that didn't actually happen. Yeah, that they've never shown before. And then someone will be like, I don't remember that happening. And then someone else will be like, it definitely happened. Like, and that's the thing is like... Okay, that's kind of funny. Because I hate clip show episodes, but that's, I mean, I'll I'll hand it to you. If you throw in one scene that you actually shot for that thing in there, like someone jokes about not remembering it, I'm like, okay, that keeps it fresh a little bit. There's there's just there's there's so many things over the course of this series that are the equivalent of doing a you know sometimes a series will do a musical episode and everybody's like oh my god it's the one where they just went nuts and they did all the goofy shit that they always wanted to do mm-hmm. this show has like a dozen of them. there's one per season it has a dozen musical episodes no but <laughs> no. it has a you know it has a dozen episodes where just like the whole creative team was like. I don't know if we're getting another season. We gotta let's put, just go nuts with let's this. Let's go nuts nice. on this concept or this this thing. Awesome. 
and and commenting on fan culture over the the decade that the show was running too, and interacting with fan culture and 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 storytelling and the the changes in perception. I mean, it, it as much as it's annoying that they recut the uh, the pilot for that re-release on DVD. Mm-hmm. It's it is notable that the 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 growth and understanding of like portrayals of female characters was something that you can actually watch happen over the show's decade. That they didn't remain static and go, well, this is how we started, so this is how it is. It's like... Yeah, it grows. They, That's they, good. It grows and changes. Nice. Good to know. Let's move on to our next segment. This is where we address any actors that we recognized or where we know them from. Uh, in this, obviously, other than Richard Dean Anderson, famously mm-hmm. MacGyver... The only other person I recognized was the uh, the general, Donis Davis. Davis, and I went, oh yeah, I know that guy. Uh, at fir- the first shot was at a weird angle, and I went, oh shit, is that Michael McKean? And then when I saw his face pull on, I went, ah, I also know this actor, but I get why I, my brain farted and mm-hmm. thought it was someone else. I then looked him up, and it was one of those things where I couldn't say, yes, I'm recognizing him from that role. He's just been in so much stuff. He's just he's just one of those character actors that you recognize because you've seen him in a bunch of things. Yeah. But I couldn't I couldn't pin him down to one role that was iconic to me. Yeah, it it is it's it's a notable little fun fact. Even though you haven't watched Twin Peaks, he plays a character on Twin Peaks who wears a blue Air Force uniform. Oh. <laughs> that like visually he is indistinguishable from General Hammond. Yeah. Different character, but clearly but like, someone had also seen that. Also a general yeah. or also a, a... Something. A colonel or something. Yeah, and clearly someone had seen that and gone, aha, you're perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, the, the, it is also fun to look at um, the fact that some of the uh, cast went on after this to do interesting things. Mm-hmm. Amanda Tapping was in a long-running series, which I haven't watched yet, but I've been meaning to check out, called Haven. About I'm No, familiar. I'm sorry, not Haven. Uh... Haven is this show based on a Stephen King book. Amanda Tapping is Sanctuary. For, Reasonable mistake. Forgivable mistake. <laughs> yeah, that started as a web series and then actually migrated to television nice. and got picked up uh, as a. She's like a, a scientist doctor lady who saves uh, like cryptids, like like Bigfoots and stuff. No fun. Yeah. Uh, is that a Canadian production? Probably. <laughs> Sounds good. And Michael Shanks, who plays Dr. Daniel Jackson, was. Hawkman on the later seasons of Smallville. It's just fun little, oh, fun hurt. little things. Yeah. Oh, I had uh, it's that guy. Okay. While I was watching this, uh, not exactly, but there's a character uh, who appears in in outside of the main cast. He appears in the most episodes, and it's the guy who's sitting in the control room going, Chevron yes. Five is encoded. Chevron Six. Yeah. Is- oh, he's like super. He. I. I. I commented while we were yeah. the episode. Like. That guy needs to give half of his energy to that one really bored-looking yeah. dude. Yeah. Because he was like, Chevron 6 is encoded! Yeah. But for it's a, there's like seven Chevrons, yeah. and he is at like 11 yeah. energy-wise for every single one of them. So that character was written in the original pilot script as Technician. Yeah. And he is... It, it's the kind of thing where you could have had a different extra forever playing mm-hmm. Technician. And they ended up just keeping the same dude. And like in season seven or something, you get his name and you start to learn things about him. But he's just there. And it's wild watching this just going, he's just, there's no reason that it should have been the same guy for 10 years. 
Well, it, there is in universe though, right? Because yeah. this is like a top secret yeah, yeah. government project. They're not gonna just cycle out. They're not gonna have a high turnover right. for the team, right? But for TV, it's hard to keep the same actor doing such a small role yeah. over and over and over again. People do other things. They quit acting, or they get a bigger recurring role on another show that prevents them from doing yeah. that, or they move or something. You can't. You can't keep people around. It's something. It's part of the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. A lot of times, the TV shows that. The extras are just constantly yeah. changing in the background, even though in real life they would be the same group of maybe yeah. 20 people that you would encounter max in this top secret lab. I love that they were able to keep him. Yeah. That's awesome. There's like super cuts on YouTube of him saying, incoming wormhole, like 400 times. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, that was an issue on Star Trek Voyager. They're like, there's only 93 of us. And then it's like, there's like a thousand people on that ship. Yeah. But, like, somebody's gone through and, you know, I think. Um, they also had, like, 20 zillion, uh, I always want to say runabout, but that's the DS9 term. What are the, oh, yeah, um, shuttles. Shuttles, yeah. Yeah. They had, like, a zillion, they, they, they say, I think I watched a video online where they're, like, the shot where she says, how many shuttles do we have? And someone says, only four. And then they show them blowing up shuttles <laughs> on the show. They show the clip and there's, like, a count. Oh, yeah. and also, how many photon torpedoes yeah. do we have? Yeah. Only three. And then it's like, launch photon torpedoes. And it's like, there's a count in launch, the corner. Launch, yeah. launch, launch, launch. And they, they go through like 60 photon torpedoes yeah. over the course of that show when they're only supposed to have three of them. So Amazing. Just, it's a nice like bit of continuity that the technician is the yeah, same technician. the same guy shouting about chevrons and, and incoming wormholes. Yeah. And who eventually, you know, kind of grows as a character in the universe, which is something that just like... To see to see that all the way back in season one, like oftentimes you'll get a character like that introduced in season two, that you know is maybe mm-hmm. one of the writers on the show or something. But it's just it's fun seeing him. Yeah. Moving on to our next segment, which we like to call iTunes News. This is where we just like to talk about you know who our favorite character was or who we really want to see more of. We want to see develop uh, a lot more. I feel like mine might be Kowalski. Which was part of why I was like so distraught when he got taken over by one of the owls of Gahul. Uh-huh. Because I was like, no, I really like that guy. Like, I can't, I just, I don't know why. There's no particular reason. He's kind of a dick to, to Sam in the first scene where they have together. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. For some reason, I was really, I like connected to him for some reason. And I just wanted him to be fine. Especially because Ferretti, they kind of threatened that he might end up not surviving. But he's fine by the end, right? Yeah. He's out of commission for the second part of the mission just because he's he was injured in the first part. Mm-hmm. He's also not in the room when when Kowalski and Jack have like, their little heart have to their heart. little heart to heart and they bond over mm-hmm. having that mission together. So I was like, why did they show him in that first scene? And now he's not here, but then he comes back, but then he gets injured and I'm like, "Oh, is that why he wasn't in that first scene? They didn't want to waste time establishing his character when they were going to kill him off." But then he seems okay. Is Ferretti yeah. around for the rest of the show? I honestly do not remember either way. Presumably not. Well, there's a there's a lot of like... Kowalski clearly is going to be a very significant character because he's got a snake worm in his right. head. There's a lot of like... There's a lot of characters that are still there in universe and will be mentioned a lot but the actors won't necessarily be appearing. Huh. 
It's a it thing like a that the show does. Like, it is a weird choice. They they had their pick of who they wanted to bring back and who they didn't from the mm-hmm. original movie, right? So they chose to bring back Ferretti, and then he's sort of there, but sort of not. And weird that then you're like, uh, I can't say 100% one way or the other. He, well, That's he's, weird. He's definitely not on SG-1. He's not the on the he's main team. He's certainly not the main part of the main right. team. Which, I mean, his injuries could have been significant enough that he's just not, uh, he can't return to... Yeah. Active duty. To normal active duty. So maybe that was their whole thing. But at any rate, um, I do really like Kowalski and, and want them to save him from the brain worm. I hope that that is not a thing that lasts for the whole show or anything like that. I hope that they are able to save him from the brain worm. Mm-hmm. Uh, soon. Presumably not <laughs> in the next episode or anything, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I guess, who, who is your favorite character? Without spoiling why, if it's something that they de- they develop into later, but... Uh, that appears in the pilot? In, in the, the pilot, pilot. yes. Uh, honestly, like, the four leads. I, I don't think it's a big spoiler to tell you that Teal'c ends up being... Oh, sure. We actually didn't, didn't, I don't know that we made it explicit during the recap that Teal'c returns with them. Yeah. Like, he tries to stay, kind of, and Jack's like, come on, dude, go, let's go. And he's like, but I have nowhere, no home to return to, as all these refugees do. And Jack's like, uh, for this, you could stay at my house, which was a very cute moment. But yeah, Teal'c returns, and they're all like, what is this guy doing here? And they're like, uh, he's a turncoat, he's, he's, he came home with us. You should put him on the team. Yeah. And also, I'd like to recommend that he be a part of our team, which is a big ask. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's like this kind of heavy handed final shot where it's it's Carter, O'Neill, Jackson, and Teal'c standing in a row in front of the gate. And there's like a circle around them. And it's like, the team. Even though they haven't officially been called the team yet, there's a very like on the nose visual signifier shot. I didn't think about the fact that them assigning Kowalski, giving him sort of the the in-universe honor of being the lead of SG-2 mm-hmm. means he's not going to be he's, part of the main team on the show. He's not the SG-1 team. Yeah, he's not. But uh, you were asking just kind of who I liked from yeah, the pilot. Yeah, sorry. The, the four leads, mm-hmm. those four of them, and General Hammond, like, everybody gets... A decade of development and for the most part it's all really good mm-hmm. there's no like I don't think it's really spoiling to say that there, there's nobody who goes like magnificently off the rails and you're just like god why are you still here okay like good uh they they just they grow and you get to see it feels again because you have those in-between episodes where it's like oh the stargate is broken today we all have to go to a bar or whatever like you get to really meet people and understand them yeah uh and just watching those four characters connect with each other and teal is very fish out of water and yet he's still very useful so there's not yeah. there, there's nobody in the main team who's like the audience pov character in the traditional sense there's there's nobody who's yeah. like what's up with this whole stargate nonsense because even the person that they're they have to explain things to is he's from another planet and he's still useful yeah. There's none of that, like, why are you here? Yeah, no, like, Ents and Jimmy, like, it's my first day on the job, yeah. explain yeah. everything to me like I'm a baby. Uh, there are two characters that I really, really love, both lady-type people, who are not introduced. One of them is introduced in, like, episode four, 
of the first season. Okay. And one of them doesn't come around until like season six or seven that are also both great. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm going to put my fingers in my ears and go la-di-da and you're going to tell the audience who who you mean. Okay. okay. Dr. Frazier and Val Maldoran are the best. Done. Uh, you know, so, and because of that long, I mean, there, there are multiple characters that are lots of fun that haven't shown up yet. There's a, there's a, gosh, I don't want to spoil it, but like the Egyptian God shit is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the cuckoo banana stuff that's waiting out in space. Oh, nice. Okay. And it, sure. it builds very organically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kind of, it, it starts out and it's very like almost like Apollo 13 kind of, you know, like level technology, like Earth, very grounded. Yeah. And by the end of the series, you're almost into like Marvel Comics, like giant um, spaceships, spaceships, Guardians of the Galaxy shit. Like okay. it's, it's, you're almost into that, that, but it, you get there very gradually. Yeah. Um, I mean, that makes sense. You, you don't d- discover a portal that goes all over the galaxy, and then just, it's just this one team who goes on adventures. Like, that's yeah. going to affect the the rest of the world. Yeah. And, like, there, there's, they do some what-if episodes. I just, I love this show. I could, I could just talk about this show forever. Uh, but, like, there's so much more. Yeah. Well, so, I think that brings us to... Final verdict. Uh... Obviously, my final verdict is that I've watched the entire series twice. I'm now contemplating a third go-around. What about you, Sarah? Did this pilot do the job of a... You ask it. Sarah. Yes. Did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more Stargate SG-1? Oh, absolutely. 1,000%. I don't know how to access it yet. It is all on Amazon Prime streaming, and only that first episode was the problematic re-release. Re-cut, final cut, director's body, whatever. Uh, Good. That's good to know. Uh, Because I'll tell you what, it's real jarring when you watch, like, the original Star Trek on Netflix, and everything looks more or less like the 60s, and then all of a sudden they show the... the, CGI Enterprise. The CGI Enterprise, like, zooming across space, and you're like, ah! Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, that's an easy yes for me. Mm-hmm. Whether I will watch all of it and how long it will take me to get there remains to be seen based on life because I am currently in the middle of my rewatch of another 90s sci-fi show about wormholes, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and uh, my sister, who's a huge fan, is very annoyed that it's taking me so long to get through it. But I'm sorry, I hate win and I hate the Jem'Hadar so it's, I'm kind of dragging my feet through it but anyway the point is uh, I want to watch all of this I want to at least get through the first season so we can do a catch up because I, oh, yeah. I I know that you would love to be able to talk about this show with me uh, with more to work on oh yeah for sure and you know this is one of those it is a very daunting thing to, to look at this knowing that there are 213 episodes plus three direct to DVD movies plus two spin-off series is like yeah. that's a lot of content. That's but. a lot. But also I I've heard so much about this over the years in that sort of weird way where it's not quite a cult thing mm-hmm. and it's but it's not quite a it's not a mainstream thing, but it like it clearly has a following and has a popularity that I have heard a lot of people talk about. I also know Mark Evan Jackson's a big fan and well, like obviously he's got great taste. So, you know, I gotta 
Yeah, I, I think just kind of like as a parting thought on, on it. So we sort of mentioned in the uh, when we were talking about the what we know section at the top of this episode that that kind of odd status where it's mm-hmm. it's not a cult thing, but it's also not mainstream. And I think now, sort of having talked through this pilot, rewatched the pilot, and sort of remembering now the series as it goes on, mm-hmm. I think part of that is that it never goes dark enough or bizarre enough. Like, it never becomes cultish. It yeah. never does the thing where it just goes completely off the rails into some cuckoo bananas territory in the sense of, like, violating its own canon or or being aggressive. They don't have a gas lake season. <laughs> yeah, there's no, like, aggre- well, there is, kind of, that, it's a long story. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> but it's still an enjoyable gas leak. Okay. Uh, but it's, like, there's never that moment where I feel like some shows w- will do a thing where it just, like, it's almost, like, antagonistic to the audience or, like, it it loses its identity or its identity changes so much that a different audience comes in and the old, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I mentioned before, there's a consistency of like editorial voice, I guess you could call it across this whole show that makes it, you know, even though it's adventure and it's wild space shit happening, it's still like this comforting place. Mm -hmm. It's, it's your mom's Mac and cheese or whatever your personal equivalent is in a sci-fi package. Like, because, you know, even watching old Star Trek or something, there's some really weird shit that you're like, this is unsettling. Yeah. When you think about it. Whereas this is just like, you know, they, they have to make tough choices and sci-fi nonsense happens. But at the end of the day, it's it's kind of comfort food. Right, and I nice. like that. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of it and talking about it with you at length. <laughs> at length, Sarah. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. And on that note... <gasps> Bye! Bye! Bye. 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 Resuming through a wormhole now. It's like Doctor Who or something. Let's find out who else has a Galahad in their brain. <laughs> <laughs>